Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman, joined by Jeff Olson. And today in this episode, I want to talk about the good life. Uh, We all want one. We all desire one. We're all kind of desperate for one. We've all tried a lot of ways to experience the good life. And uh, uh, part of our orientation as image bearers of our creator God is to understand what the good life, a satisfying life, a flourishing life looks like. Uh, As we look into the biblical text, we see uh, a good life tried. Uh, Solomon, for example, uh, he was a man of extraordinary, unique wisdom. Uh, He was absolutely filthy rich. Uh, He had all the pleasure of the world available to him. Uh, He undertook great projects. Uh, he, He went to work. He acquired And uh, in the pursuit of this good life, after all was said and done, after all the wisdom was gained and explored, the pleasure experienced, uh, the projects completed, and his labors now finalized, uh, his summary of that pursuit by that definition, by all those uh, practices, all those acquisitions, all those enjoyments, his summary was vanity vanity, all is vanity, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And what we know about Solomon in those expressions that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is he had a, what we call a catchphrase that still persists, uh, that there's nothing new under the sun. And so Solomon, by his own desperate frustration, just cries out in lament that there is nothing new under the sun. I've experienced it all. This is not the good life. This is vanity. And for something to be vain, it means it's empty. Uh, It's without substance. It's without any kind of satisfaction. Uh, So what is the good life for a follower of Jesus Christ? And this is, uh, in this episode, uh, peculiar to those who call uh, Jesus Lord and Savior. Uh, If you haven't made that decision, I would encourage you to continue to consider it And maybe this will be a good uh, little mile marker on your journey toward the cross. Uh, We're in a series in the church that I'm a pastor in, and I have the privilege of teaching. And I thought I would bring uh, my teaching from recent days and from the near future uh, into this podcast. Uh, We we defined uh, the good life uh, for the follower of Jesus Christ in this very simple way. The good life for the follower of Christ is to become the righteousness of God. The good life for the follower of Jesus Christ is to become the righteousness of God. And that is a journey. Uh, This uh, comes from 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite passages that talks about the creator God uh, who desires so much that his image bearers be reconciled and freed from their sin, both the penalty of their sin and the the continuing presence of sin, and also increasingly the power of sin. 
that he sent his son and the plan for maternity past now come to bear in Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And at the end of uh, Paul's second, which is probably his third, but I don't want to get lost in the weeds, letter to the Corinthian church, uh, Paul says this in what we know as chapter 5 in the final verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. This is an important statement. So Jesus literally became our sin offering so that we could experience the good life, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, just upstream of that definition of the good life in that same section of text in 2 Corinthians 5 is the necessary first reality that must take place in a person's life before they can become the righteousness of God. And that is what's called the born-again experience uh, in becoming a new creation. And just upstream of verse 21 is verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, Paul tells the church, and by extension, you and I, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And the word in Greek is edu. And check it out. The new has come. And so we have two of the same verbs uh, that exist in, in each of these sections, each of these statements. 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, become, and then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the new has come. It's actually the same verb form. So what I want to talk about a minute is the good life uh, for us in the reality of the, the text in the Greek language, grammatically speaking, the inspired jot and tittle of how sentences and phrases are put together and the importance of understanding that because words are important. So this is the good life, grammatically speaking, that's rooted in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and the main verb in that statement and 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is the same main verb but with a different distinctive. And so this is going to be kind of nerding out uh, for a minute. I think it's just so important for those of us who say that the biblical text is our primary authority for life, and therefore, by necessity, we believe from a biblical worldview, an orthodox biblical worldview, that the text is inerrant, meaning it is without mistake. We also believe that the text is inspired, meaning it was literally breathed out uh, from God. That's the, the, the pneumatos, the same word we get pneumatic from, that the Holy Spirit uh, is now the one who has orchestrated the construction of the biblical text in every word, every sentence, every paragraph, and then every exposition that follows in uh, chapter and book and testament and the entire Bible itself. So for those of us who hold the text in high regard, the highest regard, uh, words are important. Uh, for us to understand uh, the good life that God has offered to us. So, again, the, the verb used in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is gegonin. Say that with me, Jeff. Gegonin. The text of 5.21, the verb that's used is gegometha. And so, has come in 5.17, the new has come, the new creation has come, is gegonin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the verb form is gegometha, and that's that we might become. So if you just take it to the next possible explanation, we have the same verb with two distinctions. 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
If therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, gegonin, that is in the perfect tense. That means that it's been completed. So this is like the new birth has been finalized. This is the understanding that we are now babes in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, we have been given new birth. It's perfected, gegonin. And then there is not the perfected, but the potential for us to live the good life in becoming the righteousness of God in the verb form, genometha, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So in the new birth, our standing is perfected. We are now babes in Christ. And in the good life, becoming the righteousness of God, that's a potential. That's what's called the subjunctive form, meaning it could happen. It has potential. It has possibility. And this is where our commitment to living out the good life comes into play. See, in my new birth, I was literally uh, <laughs> remade by the Spirit of God into someone who is seen as righteous. I, I am deemed righteous, but I'm called to become righteous by my commitment to Christ and his mandates uh, in obedience as I live out my life. So that is the good life now in potential. And I, I see a lot of... Uh, uh, followers of Christ who have enjoyed the reality of their perfected second birth, who aren't necessarily experiencing the good life of becoming the righteousness of God by their commitment uh, to this uh, life of calling. Let me sum it up this way. Uh, when Paul says that believers might become God's righteousness, he means that we might become an expression of the same characteristic of God. This is one of the immutable attributes of God is righteousness. Uh, he created things rightly. Uh, he puts things aright. He's interested in all of his plans uh, by design to, to be made right in the world. So this also means that believers become agents of his righteousness, now also able to put things right in the world. So our, our, our good life definition mandates that we become an expression of God's righteousness in the world and become agents of his righteousness, uh, energetically, eagerly, proactively able to put things right in the world. So this, is, this has been a, a question. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we teach, uh, we d we're not really clear on the specifics or how to compare and contrast what that means. Uh, what does it mean to put things right uh, as, an, as an agent and an expression of righteousness uh, now as I experience this good life more and more? So in order to put things right, uh, I would offer that I must be clear on what's not right. I mean, how, how do I know uh, what's not right so that I can put it right? And what I want to do for a few minutes as we close, I know this has been a whole lot real fast. Uh, I, I want to put these uh, examination points of what's not right that I must consider putting right in the framework of a biblical worldview and the four movements of God's grand story. Uh, if you've been engaged in the Pinocchio Project for a while, uh, our main proposition is that we must be able to vet ideas through a biblical worldview that's rooted in the four movements of God's grand story. 
uh, the first movement, the creation account. What does it mean to be human? And all of the mandates uh, that we have now responsibility for based on the purpose and design that God has given us. So creation, uh, what does it mean to be human? What am I responsible for? Who am I responsible to? Uh, the second movement, what's wrong with this world? That's the fall. And, and what now has been made not right? Because in the creation account, everything was righteous. But now everything has been made unrighteous in the fall. And the image of God in me is not erased, but it is defaced. And I have to know that I am a part of what needs to be made right. The, the third movement of God's grand story is if I know what's wrong... I need to know how to make it right. What's the remedy? What's, what does redemption look like? And we know from a biblical perspective uh, that has to be rooted in the remedy for what's wrong has to be rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, has paid the price for my gone south, wheels off sin, and I now have the opportunity to live a life of, of a redeemed one and an agent of restoration. Then the fourth movement is what we do call restoration, and it's about the destination of me working as an agent in order to make things right, to restore all things until uh, Jesus returns or until I go home. And so what I want to do is I want to examine that question, uh, how do I know what's not right so that I can put it right, I want to I want to run that through the biblical worldview grid of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so let's start right here. Uh, this this is as to what does it mean to be human, and what does it be, mean to be made in the image of God. It's not right if my attitude, action, or inaction degrades or destroys the image of God. And uh, I just have to say, if you don't already know, the culture you live in, the water you swim in, the air that you breathe, the attitudes uh, of popular culture are, are more and more degrading and destroying the image of God. And that's as far as I can go today. I mean, in this time period, I'm going to be fleshing this out more in my message this Sunday. But if my attitude, action or inaction degrades or destroys the image of God, Everything that was given in creation, it's not right. Second consideration under the, the, the creation movement and as to my responsibilities and my mandates. If my attitude, action, or inaction disregards God's design and purpose for me as his image bearer, it's not right. If I, if I misuse or abuse, you know the word abuse could rightly be understood as a compound word, abnormal use, now now put together as a contraction. If, if my attitude, action, or inaction disregards, abuses, or misuses God's design and purpose for me as his image bearer, it's not right. And the good life insists on me making things right in my own life and making that same possibility available for others. Now let's move to the fall. What's wrong with this world? and how I can live the good life, I first need to understand what's not right. Uh, if my attitude, action, or inaction is meant to protect me from legitimate blame and consequences, it's not right. The, the first answer to what's wrong with the world is I am. And if I try to promote myself or protect myself uh, or, or, or impose myself and, and then be vindicated and without consequence, that's just that all, all that does literally is prove that I'm 
I'm part of the problem. If my attitude, action, or inaction is meant to protect me from legitimate blame and the consequences thereof, it's not right. Now, let's move to the, to the salvation question, or how, how can what's wrong be made right? Uh, and this is very, a very popular dysfunction in your world today. If my attitude, action, or inaction indicates that the state, meaning the government, can be trusted to remedy the deepest disease of my culture, it's not right. All I'm saying there is salvation is going to arrive in the form of governmental policy and legislation that may be degrading the image of God, that may be allowing me to get off the hook for any responsibility, and also can put me in a state of apathy as to my responsibility in my own sphere of influence. And that's the final consideration here uh, about my responsibility and accountability as an agent of change and restoration. If my attitude, action, or inaction indicates that I'm not accountable as a change agent in my own sphere of influence, that's not right. It's unrighteous because I've been given a new life, a new birth, and now the responsibility to become the righteousness of God. And I have a sphere of influence here in this time and this place that God has put me in. And a righteousness means that I am proactively making right what's broken in my world. Just my, my small sphere of influence, that's my world. I'm not responsible necessarily for anything other than the sphere of influence God's put me in. So if the good life is becoming the righteousness of God, I have to be able to recognize what's not righteous in my world and my part in it and then trust God to form me into a change agent in my sphere of influence. Whatever's not right, I can do my part in making righteous. So that's all I got uh, in this pod. I know it's been a whole lot uh, really fast. Uh, it'll be fleshed out in <laughs> about twice this time uh, when I speak it from the platform. So if you want to join in, it's okay to plug the live stream. If you're, if you're not a member of the church that I serve, uh, which is North Lake Church in Lago Vista, you can look it up on YouTube, North Lake Church, and uh, the live stream will be there uh, for this Sunday. I'll be talking particularly to this message and fleshing out these concepts even more. Uh, it might not have been good to have it compressed like this because I didn't get a chance to let you sit and soak in it. But maybe you can push pause uh, and think about whatever not rights that you have in your life that uh, you can now become a participant and a partaker of the good life by becoming the righteousness of God in these areas. All right, for the Pinocchio Project, Mitch Friedman, signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pinocchio pod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening. And remember your everyday ideas have significant consequences.